0: Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, Certified Life and Relationship Coach, and happily divorced mom who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages, and then guides them through the process one step at a time. Today I have with me family law attorney, Tracy Coates. Now Tracy and I met through a mutual friend and we hit it off fantastically. We have a lot of similar ideas about the divorce process and on today's podcast, she shares a lot of great information. But before I bring Tracy on, I have a few things that I want to tell you about. The first is that I am starting a program for men. I know, I have been saying that this is in the works for some time now, and it is finally happening. Now, here's what you need to know. In order to create the best and most successful programs that I possibly can, all of my programs are beta tested before they go public. This way I can get feedback about what works, what doesn't work, and the participants get my undivided attention seriously when I'm beta testing a program I get so close to everyone in the group because we are working together practically 24 7 so it's a great opportunity this first round of this men's program will be a beta test and while I don't generally open these beta tests up to the general public I'm doing it with this group mainly because my email list is a little bit thin in the men's department so if you're a man and this idea sparks joy for you Check the show notes and get in on the ground floor of this hugely transformational program. If you are ready to stop second-guessing yourself, if you can't decide whether to stay or go, if you know that you need to go but you want to move through the next steps with grace and forgiveness, if you're ready to take responsibility for your side of whatever got you here, if your wife has left you and you want to figure out what went wrong so it doesn't happen again, if your number one concern is protecting your children from whatever comes next, if you're ready to heal from your heartache and heartbreak, This program is 100% for you. If you've been hearing about my program for women and you've been saying, oh my God, I wish she'd create something like that for men, this is it. Link in the show notes. Please sign up. Um, When you sign up, then you'll get an automatic email response that gives you a little bit more information. I don't have an official sales page for it because it is a beta run. If you like my podcast, which I hope that you do because you're listening to it now. (laughs) Um, So if you like it, please, 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 please head over to iTunes and give it some love. Stars are fantastic. I love them. But positive reviews are even better. You know how people only like to review things that they don't like? Don't be like that. Let's all choose love today. And so if you can find your way to choosing to love me on iTunes, I will be so grateful. Seriously, it'll mean so much. All right. So without further ado, here is family law attorney Tracy Coates. Tracy Coates is a partner at the law firm of Paley Rothman in Bethesda, Maryland. Tracy is the co-chair of the family law department and a member of its litigation practice group. For nearly 15 years, Tracy has represented clients in the Washington DC and Maryland areas in a variety of domestic relation matters, including premarital agreements, divorce and separation, child custody, child support modification, enforcement of court orders and agreements, adoption, and guardianships. Her clients include all types of individuals and couples in a wide range of family structures. In addition to being a trained mediator, Tracy volunteers and is a member of the board of directors for the D.C. Volunteer Lawyers Project, an organization whose mission is to provide high-quality free legal services to low-income D.C. residents in family law cases. She provides pro bono legal representation, doing custody, divorce, and legal ad litem work for survivors of domestic violence and children in high-conflict custody cases. So that's like hugely important work right there. So Tracy's also the host of the podcast, The Divorce Chronicles, a practical resource for those thinking about or in the midst of a divorce. The Divorce Chronicles provides valuable insight into the inner workings of the divorce process and what you need to know to transform from married to single life. Tracy interviews a variety of professionals involved in the separation and divorce arena to help simplify and demystify the divorce process in a down-to-earth and straightforward manner without all of the legalese. And this episode is actually a cross-podcast episode, so this episode will be airing on Tracy's podcast as well. So without further ado, here is Tracy Coates.
1: Tracy. Hi, Kane. How are you? I am great. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you. We're a little bit of a time difference. I think you're just starting your afternoon and mine is going later <sighs> in the day, but I'm still good. You're still-, <laughs> still going strong. I love
0: the fact that we're having this conversation. It's a perfect intersection. We intersect at so many
1: places. We do, we absolutely do. I mean, I come from sort of the legal background as a family law attorney for almost the last fifteen years and doing only family law and child support and divorce and and do adoptions and guardianships as well. That's sort of my happy time to be able to do those types of things um, but yes we do and then you sort of come up at it at a different angle yeah I come at it from the
0: emotional perspective I mean I'm a life coach by by training um, I also and certification and also I'm also trained in relationship coaching I'm also an expert in interpersonal communication so I come at it from the I start working with people at the should I stay or should I go point. And then I work with them all the way through, you know, the divorce process. Um, So I I take people at different points, right? Either contemplating it, going through it, or after the fact and rebuilding. And having done it myself, I'm a divorced mom. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you come with the experience also in what you do, but also your own personal experience, which is really nice to have. Um, and of course, as a divorce lawyer, I take people really from when they are at times sort of at their worst. Yeah. And helping them through the legal process, as I'm sure you remember, which even if it's an amicable one, it's certainly not fun. Yeah. And it certainly conjures up a lot of emotions for people. I had a woman not too long ago in my office who had been separated from her husband for no less than i would say 18 months. Mm-hmm. And yet and she's talking to me and she's very conversational and very sort of upbeat if you will. And then all of a sudden towards the end when she asked me so what's the next step and i talked to her about being retained and filing, you know, suit for divorce, she just sort of lost it and yeah. got very emotional and when asking her she says you know what when I hear you say now you're going to represent me in my divorce, even though we've been separated for eighteen months or so, it really was a hard thing for her to sort of emotionally get her mind around because this was sort of the, the final stages if you will sure. so the emotional toll that that comes with the divorce
0: yeah I mean that's sort of making it final making it real you know um I have a I have a friend actually not even a client who's going through this and he's doing all of the paperwork himself. And I said to him today, I said, gosh, you know, I feel, I was like, I'm getting a little bit defensive of him, you know? And I'm like, she's not doing any of it. Like she literally, they're doing it all themselves. Oh wow, okay. And I was like, and she's not, and she's not doing any of it. You're just doing all of it. And he said, yeah. And I said, but that's not fair. It puts all of that on you. You're the one having to go through the emotional sort of excavation. And he said, yeah, but I'm also the one doing the work. And he meant it from the emotional perspective because he's, doing all of the paperwork, he's also doing all the emotional work.
1: Exactly. So,
0: yeah, it is. It's very emotional.
1: It is. It's very emotional. It's very hard. And sometimes, you know, in my position, which is a little different from where you are because you were trained to sort of work with people on the emotional level, um, in my profession, it's a lot different because while... Obviously I can empathize and I um, you know feel for my clients when they're going through a lot of these things sometimes the emotion gets in the way of what's legally in their best interest and sort of helping people understand where that roadblock comes up and mm. while you know or the opposite that it may feel really good to be spiteful and to be negative in this time right here and to draw the stake in the line but really, are we fighting over, you know, the Vitamixer or, you know, their son or daughter can't go to lacrosse practice or basketball practice because it's on your day. And so they're going to miss making the team, which, you know, that spitefulness. And so I think sometimes, unfortunately, if you're not dealing with that underlying emotion and what you do um, so well and sort of working through people, it really can have an impact on the legal process as well, because you may make decisions that are completely contrary to your best interest and or that of your family, simply because you're so stuck in that emotional turmoil at that time.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's literally why I do what I do. And I do it because the people that suffer the most are the kids, Right. Like you said, I mean, not being able to make a, a lacrosse practice because it's on your day and, you know, and you're not going to, your kid, like your kids, you're going to stand in the way of your kids' dreams because you're not working on healing your resentments. Right. And that happens so often. And so it's often. So tragic. And there's only so much, there's only so much we can do when we only have one person in the room, right? You and I both only have the one person in the room, but that one person can set the tone. Right. For so much. Um, of what's going
1: on right right and one of the things that I also find when I mean, you make a really good point in terms of setting the tone particularly when um, clients come in to see me and it really depends on whether um, they are coming to me as the spouse who is filing for divorce or the spouse who who spouse has just filed for divorce and so <laughs> the emotional um, gauge as to where people are is very different so if you're the spouse who's ready to initiate divorce I mean, you're further along down the road and you are very sort of, in some respects, not all, very matter-of-factly about this is what needs to happen. This is what my plan is. This is what the roadmap that I want to take. Whereas if you're somebody who spouse has just filed for divorce and you're at the receiving end, you still have to not only sort of keep keep up with the legal process, which is unfortunately not the fastest and most efficient in a lot of circumstances, you've always also got to catch up emotionally. And that really is a very difficult path to sort of navigate at the same time. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, divorce is, you know, a lawsuit. It's, it's, it's a lawsuit in a court proceeding, it is the um, disillusion of a legal contract, if you will, because that's what marriage is when you sort of enter into a marriage. It really is the legal contract between mm-hmm. people. And it's a lot about managing, I'm sure, from your end and as well as from mine, and managing people not only through the process, but their expectations, giving them real, honest reality checks. I do that yep. a lot in, in my mm-hmm. profession. You know, I think it's so important. People hire me to advocate for them and in advocating for them, even if they don't like what I'm saying to them, it's my job to make sure that you at least know the entire picture, that you hear both the pros and the cons of your decisions. Your life is your life and I will help you get to where you would like to be. But you also have to have a reality check. And sometimes simply because you want X or you think you should have X or your neighbor's friend's cousins, this is the way (laughs) we did it. It's not going to work for you. You know what I mean? And we get that all the time. Tracy, here's the agreement that my neighbor did. Can you just insert my name and my kids' names so we can change so I can move on? Oh my God. I agree slightly, but not really. I mean, but not (laughs) surprised. <laughs> How many people think that it's just such a cookie cutter
0: process yeah it's so not it's so not and it's so true I mean I love what you said that like sometimes advocating for someone is actually like calling them on their BS yeah. <laughs> I mean really I will absolutely do that when I have a client who I think their perspective needs a little uh, sort of shedding a little light on or helping them see that like, this isn't actually, or, or maybe this, maybe what you're talking about isn't actually about this. Maybe your anger is a little misdirected. Let's look at like what you're really angry about or no, that's not, that's actually not a reasonable thing. And also if you fight for that in court, like if, if you, I I actually said this to a client really recently, I said, so if you take that perspective to court, you're going to lose. you like, what you're saying is actually not legally viable um, from what I know of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a custody, it was a custody thing, right? And and she wanted more custody. And she had all the emotional, sort of logistical reasons to want that because she had been a stay-at-home mom and she was a primary caregiver and all of that. But you know, I said, okay, so what what's your sort of legal reasoning for for you know th- that you think you're going to get this? And you know, it was all very emotional. And I said, all right, we have to look at that. Right, because because that's not going to fly in court. A judge isn't going to rule for that. I don't think your attorney will bring that to a <laughs> to a judge anyway.
1: Right. Um.
0: So let's look at what's underneath that. Let's look at what's really going on here.
1: Right, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things. I mean, every case is different, but one of the things that I think, unfortunately, um, parties get lost in is that they really want that old saying: "I want my day in court. I want to be able to vent about." everything from my perspective that went wrong. And you and I both know as you've been through a divorce, even if it goes to trial, there is not enough time to go through every single detail of every single wrongdoing to you or to your spouse and that limited period of time. And a judge really wants to filter through the emotions and really wants to be presented with simply the facts so that they can make a mm-hmm. ruling based on the law and, you know, and apply that to your facts. And unfortunately, right and I tell my clients this all the time, is that particularly those that want to go to court, because not only is it very expensive to litigate a case, particularly your custody case, a contested custody case, I mean, it could cost you tens of thousands of dollars to do that. But also because you want to make sure that when you are putting on a case and a judge is listening to you, that you are able to sort of, and you meaning in your your counsel, hopefully in most cases, is able to articulate a reasonable position as you are Already indicated before that is going to quote unquote fly in court because mm-hmm. a judge you know doesn't know anything about your case other than the file that's in front of him or her the pleadings that have been filed and a limited testimony that it, that the court has in front of you and quite honestly that's such a small snapshot of your life and your family's history that if you really want to have the most impactful um, results if you will it really helps to sort of take a step back and see if you and your spouse and this is where the emotion comes in sort of getting past the anger or the hurt and figuring out if the two of you can come to some sort of resolution that will work for your family because what a judge a judge will make a decision but I guarantee you nine times out of 10 it's not going to be the decision that either of you would have wanted. Absolutely
0: absolutely I I learned that when we were going through we were talking about you know who was going to keep our house Mm. and you know our mediator said where we actually, was our collaborative attorney said, so listen, here's the deal. If you guys can't figure this out, we could bring it to a judge. The judge is going to tell you to sell your house. Like period, end of story. The judge will tell you to sell your house and split the asset or the liability. And in our case, we were getting divorced right when the market crashed. So our house was $250,000 underwater.
1: Oh my. So,
0: you know, we would have sold it for, and had to split a $250,000 loss. That made no sense. None. But
1: had we litigated, that's what would have happened, and you would have spent that. I mean, maybe hopefully not two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but maybe between the right. two of you, you would have spent the two hundred fifty thousand dollars and still owed the and still owed another two hundred fifty liability.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you know what we did? I said to my 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 ex and I looked at each other. He made a very good, compelling um, argument emotionally for keeping the house. He said, you know, I'd been the state. I said, I was the stay at home mom. I think he needs to stay where he, what he, you know, where he's used to. And he said to me, you know what, you're the stay at home mom. He said, wherever you go is home. I want to keep some sense of what is home for him. And I
1: kind of couldn't argue that. I like and, that. I actually have never heard that. I like that. That is that is a really, I mean, that resonates and will resonate with a lot it? of people. It does. Yeah. It was really, I gotta tell you, even in the midst of a
0: divorce, like it was a very compelling argument. And I was like, oh, and then coupled with the fact that I had been a stay-at-home mom, I really wasn't sure what my future was gonna hold in terms of finances. Um, I didn't get spousal support for very long. We'd only been married for five years. So I also Didn't know that I wanted to fight for a huge mortgage (laughs) that I was going to, that was going to have to be mine, you know? Um, And I'm very glad that I didn't. And so we ended up, so they said, okay, Kate, you can give David the house, but if you do, then you owe him $125,000 because it's a liability. To his credit, my ex was like, that doesn't make sense. That's not (laughs) ridiculous. He's like I'm going to hold on to this house far longer than, you know, the market's going to go back up. We know this. And it's it's an asset in the long term. Right. And so he was like can we just take it off the top like I just keep the house and we'll just call it even and he, the, you know because it was a collaborative process which we should talk about they were like you can do whatever you want. We were like okay done. And that's what we did. <laughs> <Check>. <laughs> He kept the house, you know, and he's complaining now. He's like, it needs a new roof. And I'm like,
1: (laughs) not your liability anymore, right?
0: (laughs) Now, from an emotional standpoint, my ex is remarried. And a couple of years ago, um, his new wife posted in a Facebook neighborhood Facebook group that we're all in um, we're renting out our house.
1: Um, We need new tenants, whatever. And I was like, that's not your house. And how much further down the road was that, Kate, in terms of like the time period? That was like a good seven years post-divorce. And see in yeah. the emotion that it still yeah. stirs. I mean, that, and that's a that's a piece of property, right? And so logically you're thinking, how can I still be so tied to that piece of property? But it's the memories that it holds. And yeah. I'm assuming, and, and you'll share, of course, why you felt that way, but I can understand yeah. and I see it all the time. I still
0: feel like that's my house. Like I mourn, I, I mourn it. It was a, it was a logistically very smart uh, move to let it go financially. Mm-hmm. Very smart move. Um, I had a a financial advisor on my podcast a, a few, I don't know, about a month ago, and she said the biggest mistake people make financially, women especially, make is fighting for the house. Um, that it is, it becomes very difficult, especially if you've been a stay-at-home mom and you're looking to rebuild your life. It takes a lot longer than anyone tells you taking on a mortgage like that is, you know, it's, it's really difficult.
1: Absolutely. Especially if you don't have, if you don't know your source of income for a period of time, because not everybody's going to qualify for alimony or spousal support, depending mm-hmm. on what jurisdiction you're in. And um, if they do, in this day and age, um, you know, gender roles are different. So I want to make it clear that, you know, no longer are women automatically going to get spouse's support. And in some cases, I have male clients that are the recipients of alimony or, mm-hmm. Or, or spousal support, but you make a really good point. People sometimes forget to budget for the end, and in what that looks like when you are now supporting two households versus one. Because unless you're independently, um, wealthy and, you know, we both have clients that are, so two households, not that big of a deal, but at the same time, you know, if you're not independently wealthy and now you've got, you both have mortgages and or rent and utilities and, and everything that it takes to operate a household, people sometimes do not think about what their budget will allow. Particularly those people who were, you know, stayed at home. And I have many clients, men and women, who, when they come into my office and I ask them what their expenses are, what their monthly um, liabilities are, they have. Absolutely no idea. And that's not a judgment in terms of, you know, oh my goodness. It's because that's sort of how their household was set up. One party, and it's both men and women, one party went out and they're the ones that sort of earned the income or the majority of it. And the other person sort of ran the home or, uh, you know, just wrote bills or something like that. But you would be surprised how many people have no idea what it takes to operate a house.
0: I am surprised constantly by the number of people, and and you know even even a, a good friend of mine who is a very successful businesswoman, and she, her husband was sort of this more of a stay at home dad, but he took care of all the finances, and she for years didn't have any clue uh, what was going on, and she had a rude awakening at one point, and. You know, or another another client who's getting divorced and and thought that they had tons of money, and then when it came down to the divorce, it turned out he'd been you know paying for mistresses and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, you know, it's important, yeah. I think, as sort of a cautionary tale for people to be empowered about the money, empower themselves, and to to know what's going on with the personal finances because yeah, you can't get
1: divorced and not know. And not how much it costs. And particularly when you're spending money. I mean, we're both really good at what we do, but at the same time, it is the process is not inexpensive. And you mentioned an alternative to say litigation, which is collaborative divorce. Yeah. And collaborative divorce is a good um, alternative for people who don't necessarily want that underlying thread of litigation. Now, mm-hmm. there are, of course, some some exits, if you will, that collaborative law, the process could actually um, fall apart. But at the same time, collaborative law, and I think this is sort of a misconception that some people have, is it is not a cheaper way to get married. Because in some, I mean, divorce, excuse me, not divorce. <laughs> The unraveling of the marriage, rather, but in some instances, in many, you were hiring many different professionals to weigh in and to support you through the process. And yep. while you know each person has their their price point or what their hourly um, rate is, that can quickly add up. Up. And so, even yep. if you're splitting it down the middle, and you both are going to, um, you know, contribute to it, most people are going to each have an attorney. Most people, I believe, have a financial expert, or maybe one joint financial expert. There's usually some sort of yep. a mental health professional involved. Coach,
0: yep. Each person has their own, or if you feel like you can, you can you can share one.
1: Right. Exactly. And so, but that adds up. And so, I want people to to be aware that you know what, it is certainly a a wonderful alternative to if that's what you and your spouse decide to do. But it, it still can be a very costly um, process too, depending as you indicated, how many professionals are, are hired yeah. and how many times everybody's meeting with one another. Um, but the whole process itself and, you know, and then there's the other extreme that you and I chatted also about people who decide to do it themselves mm-hmm. and more and more people are returning to do that. And there are websites and, and, in different social, um, acceptable ways now to get a divorce uh, sort of online, if you will, or DIY Mm -hmm. um, divorce. But Mm -hmm. you also have to be very careful about that because, you know, you could, if you don't know what the law is and you don't know how to apply it to your certain, your, your set of circumstances and facts, it could cost you not then, but it could cost you years down the line to have to sort of do what you and your spouse created. And that may not be the best approach.
0: Yes. And they, and, and, if it's not in your favor, but it's in their favor, good luck trying to get them back into
1: court. I mean, they're going to sign away and say, oh no, I think this is a great deal. This
0: looks looks great to me. (laughs) Exactly. And then later on be like, wait, that wasn't fair to
1: me. They'll be like, oh well. (laughs) Exactly. And you know what a judge is going to say to you? Well, if Mm -hmm. you signed it, it is presumed that you read it and understood it. So good luck Mm -hmm. trying to undo that agreement. Now, there are certain aspects of of, of divorce that are always modifiable, um, at least in the jurisdictions that I practice in, and I imagine it's universal. But child custody, child support, those are almost always modifiable. And so, but but still, you just you just never know what could happen down the road.
0: Right. Yep. So true. I would love to hear some of your thoughts on uh, just the financial stuff. Um, You said that, you know, you don't always get alimony and child support, right? And there are different jurisdictions. What do people need to know? Like, like, let's say, like, you're someone who's thinking about this process, right? And you kind of want to know what... What's coming, right? What should they do? What do they need to know?
1: You know, I would say one of the first things people need to know, we sort of touched upon it before, is to what it is that they want, right? In terms of going forward, you need to have an understanding of what your finances are, what your monthly expenses are. You need to have an understanding of what your assets are. You know, what property do you own? How much is the mortgage if there is a mortgage? Um, in terms, of if who's going to move out of the home, who's going to stay in the home, you know, if you have children, what sort of resources do you need in order to keep some sort of consistency for them in terms of what would be in their best interest and, and working through that, are your kids going to stay in the local school? Are they going to go to private school? Who's going to pay for that? Um, in, In terms of, you know, what sorts of things do they need? And, and kids are very, as you can certainly imagine, that is really where the emotion comes in and where that's the toughest quote unquote fight, if you will. When I talk yeah. to my clients about the property and about the cars and about the investment accounts, at the end of the day, those are really business decisions, right? I mean, those mm-hmm. are not usually wrapped up in emotion. And so you really need to have an understanding and separate the emotion from the actual fact and the tangible items that you need to deal with. I would also sort of, whether you decide ultimately to represent yourself, you should always meet with somebody in your jurisdiction who is familiar with family law, particularly somebody that's that's primarily what they do so that you can get an understanding of what the law is and have somebody yes. walk through sort of a strategic plan for you as to what you're what you're entitled to, what the law is, what the possible outcomes are of of what your various choices or options may be. I think that mm-hmm. is very key. And I think sometimes people and and not for any bad reasons, but it's expensive. I mean, but even if you can afford one hour of somebody's time to go mm-hmm. and sit and chat with them, I think that's invaluable information to have because then you at least know going forward. As you pointed out before, whether or not chasing this particular shiny object this way is really going to help you move forward. As to your ultimate goal. You know, if you say to me, if people come in and say, Tracy, what's really important to me is for me to protect my retirement. I have been working X amount of years, I have X amount of dollars in retirement, and I want to make sure that we protect that. Now, I'm willing then to maybe give away this account, or I'm willing to not be as aggressive on, say, for example, staying in the house. I don't mind moving. Let's sort of use these different pieces and leverage in order to get what I ultimately want. But if I have a client that comes in, says they wanna protect their retirement, but then wants to fight over every single thing, which may or may not be important to them, but just to get back to that other person, that is not at all going to protect what the, the plan or the goal that you had for yourself when you first walked in. So for me, planning and preparation, Budgeting, knowing where your financial resources are going to be, because you need to sort of set aside at least some amount of money for this process. Whether you decide down the road to just do a portion of it yourself, but there's got to be some sort of pot that you can dip into, whether it be for legal fees, whether it be for unexpected expenses, whether it be to put down a down payment on a new home or for rent, or what have you, I think people sometimes don 't plan or they don 't think two and three steps ahead, and I think you right. really need to make sure that if you 're unable to do it, somebody is thinking that for you.
0: I totally could not agree more. I always recommend meeting with an attorney, even if you 're planning on doing the most collaborative or you know mediation that you meet with an attorney on your own, (laughs) you know, but if you got to give them some cash um, or have your mom pay for it, but meet with an attorney on your own so that you really know what it is you're asked because you could get into the process and someone throws out a number and you're like, that sounds good. Or I, you know, with zero information, it's, it's impossible, right? You need to have, you need to know, you do need to know.
1: And I agree. And I guess also coupled with that, um, Kate, in terms of, so from my perspective, I'm dealing with the legal aspect, right? And I'm dealing Mm -hmm. with how to get them through the legal process, either through litigation or hopefully avoiding litigation. But from your perspective, in terms of meeting people where they are, yeah. what are sort of the um, approaches that you take? Because does it depend? I'm assuming as to as we started the conversation, if this is the person that's sort of initiating this divorce versus somebody who's mm-hmm. trying to catch up to the the emotional process. How does that work in your role? Yeah, that's
0: such a good that's a, such a good question. I mean I'm mostly the statistics; these are old statistics. They may have changed, but sixty nine percent of divorces are initiated by women. Um, so I really, and I mostly work with women. So I really am mostly working with people who are initiating. You know, the process is essentially the same. And when I'm working with women who are initiating, and they're talking about their husbands' reactions or the way that they're that they're um, dealing with things in in mediation or whatever, I will often remind them, like, you've had six months. To process this, you've got to give him time to catch up. Like he's still reeling from the information. Like, let's have some breathing room here. Um, I love that in other, some other countries, um, I think the UK and Brazil, and I haven't done the research to find out where else, but there's a two-year waiting period where you file for separation and you have to wait two years before you start divorce proceedings. And I don't know what all of the sort of legal ramifications of that are, right? Because I think that there are financial aspects of that, which may not be all that great, but from an emotional standpoint, you are giving yourself two years to heal. Before you bring all of that heat into uh, a litigation or even a negotiation, however, you end up working it out, that waiting process I think is so important. I think it's really important to give people the respect and the honor to process these emotions. I work with women to heal their process, really heal their, uh, whether it's, you know, if they've been emotionally abused to really look at themselves in all of this, right? We cannot control what other people do, but we can take responsibility for how we showed up in a relationship. We can sh- we can take responsibility. We have got to take responsibility for who we were that brought that person in, that said it was okay to have that kind of relationship, right? My relationship was, was very emotionally abusive. We ended up having a fantastic divorce. We have a fantastic relationship now, but it was a very volatile marriage. But I came back by that supernaturally. And I had to work on healing that in myself so that, A, I don't repeat those patterns. Um, But so I can move on and stop resenting him and stop blaming him and collaborate in the future because this guy is going to be in my life for the rest of my life. Uh, And I have to have a relationship with him for the rest of my life. And I get to choose how that looks. I get to choose how that looks because he's committed to the same thing. Right. It it is I get that I, I have a level of privilege in that my ex is as committed to that as I am. And there are people who get divorced from people who are not as committed to that, you know, that are they're getting divorced from people who really, really, really want to spend the next 10, 15 years dragging them through the mud. And that's brutal. But you can still work on yourself. You know, you then you have just deeper boundary work to do. You know, I work on, with women on, on boundaries. I work with them on self-esteem. I work with them on healing from their pasts, taking responsibility for, you know, how they got here and healing all of that so that we don't repeat it over and over and over again.
1: I, I agree. And you brought up a really good point, Kate, in terms of one of the things in preparation, which I think is really important to for people to hear, is how you approach um, the discussion of wanting a divorce. Because, oh, yeah. because I think that that also takes some planning. You have to have a plan as to how that conversation is going to be. Because you know what, you, you can't just sort of ambush somebody, if you will, because a lot of times, although people will say, I had no idea it was coming. If you sort of did some, some digging and some, some soul searching, I think people know underneath that, that things weren't ideal, right? I I think that if you're at the point where you're getting a divorce, I think, you know, that you weren't very happy, but a lot of times people will say, well, I had no idea. and, And he or she just sort of blurted it out one day. You know, and sometimes people get to the point where they just can't take it anymore, and they are—they've either can't take it or they've worked up enough courage to at least say something. So it starts the ball ball rolling. But I do think that there needs to be some care in in what you say, and um, and how you deliver it, and um, you know what your expectations are during this process, because I think that that allows the other person to feel like they too have some input and them stay in this in this process, because I think ultimately it's going to make for a much better relationship, even if when you're right in the middle of it, you feel like, and I'm sure like you just said, you had a very volatile marriage, but now you're good friends and that you're you can talk and you're sharing and raising this child together. And I think people, particularly people who have children together, you're absolutely right. You're going to be in each other's lives forever. And what I like to tell my clients a lot of times is that the goal is to be able to dance at your daughter or your son's wedding you know, and, and and be yep. at that, that support system that that, that that person needs. I can't tell mm-hmm. you how many times I have heard from clients um, or from just people that I know who have gotten a divorce where they've been uninvited to that person's wedding. You know, I mean, just imagine your son or daughter uninviting you to their wedding because they know that if you and dad get in the same room, you can't even have a conversation, let alone be pleasant. Yeah, exactly. And at at
0: that point, it's like, I mean, come on, right? Come on there are a couple of things that you said that i wanted to circle back on one of them is that how to how to tell him right and and it is it is a, it, it's a process right i actually have a process that i take my clients through on that and that conversation and part of that again is giving them the space and the time to catch up to the emotional shock right or or just process the emotions that that are happen, happening in this moment, right? So the first, the fr- there's like the first phase of the conversation, and often what I do is I, I say, listen, nobody's no know- nobody knows your husband as well as you do, right? <laughs> like you know what he's going to say, you know what he's going to do. So I ask them to say to their to their spouse, tell them kindly that this is happening, and then to try to anticipate what their response is going to be, right? Um, try to anticipate. Uh, if they're going to get angry what they might say what their you know what all of their uh, responses are going to be so that you can formulate a response and then when they start to go down the road cuz they will they're going to start to think 10 steps ahead to say listen i really want us to work out all of those details together i don't think that this is the time for this, or the, you know, this is this is not the time or th- to discuss this. Like, I want to work all this out together. I want you and I to sit down together with a mediator or with attorneys or whatever to hammer all this stuff out. But we're not going to make this decision tonight. Right. Let's just let's just get
1: through sort of processing that this is happening. If you're going to be the one initiating the conversation, then be okay and respectful of the fact that. You know what if this person has to sort of detach for a little bit or you know can't necessarily have the conversation that you've been preparing for you know you've got yes. to be mindful that answers aren't going to happen overnight and it's a process you're absolutely correct and it is a process
0: and you have to be flexible you've got to be able to be flexible while you're i mean you're shattering someone and i agree with you that I don't. I don't ever buy it when someone's like, "I had no idea." <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. I don't. You know. I mean, maybe, maybe. Right? Maybe there's some people that just play it really cool until suddenly they break. Um, but I have a. I have. I have trouble with that one as well.
1: Right. And one other thing I also just want to note in terms of preparation, I think it's also important, as you just said, in thinking about how this person may react, if there's any chance that you feel like that this is not going to be a, a pleasant conversation. I use the word pleasant because, of course, it's not going to be. But if you think their reaction is going to be one that might be... Um, physical or, you know, verbally, um, abusive in a way, or you have that Mm -hmm. pattern in your marriage, then Mm -hmm. I think that you should either a do it with somebody else present, that's somebody that you can trust. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be somebody that's sitting right beside you, but just knowing that somebody else is in the vicinity or in the home. And two, Mm -hmm please, please, please do not have these conversations with your children. Don't bring them into mm-hmm. it. Don't sit them down and say, you know, at this initial conversation, no. I'm divorcing your dad, I'm divorcing your mom. And this oh is all God. the things that he or she has done. Oh and my so God. that's why, you know, I mean, there's a time and a place and a way to prepare your children for a divorce and to talk to them as a unified unit, you know, as to say, this is what we've decided, but that's also got to be another conversation. And so I cannot, stress enough. And I know that you feel the same way. Do not involve your kids in, in no. this, in this process. More God, than you have no. to. Let them be kids. Yes,
0: there is a, yes, exactly. There's a time and a place. I have an entire product that is this, how to tell your kids. Um, and, uh, that, that is a hundred percent correct. You don't tell your kids anything, especially if they're little until everything is sorted out until you have all of the answers to their questions right. <laughs> that they're going to inevitably ask. Absolutely, 100%. And I'm glad that you mentioned that about you know, making sure that you're safe. Some people may have to have this conversation in mediation or in, uh, in couples therapy because it might be a scary conversation to have uh, or an unsafe
1: conversation to have for sure. Exactly, and you wanna make sure that you're sort of protecting you know, not only your heart in terms of how things are gonna proceed, but you wanna protect yourself physically as well. Yes, yes, for sure. Absolutely. Do you have any final, any final words? You know, I think that I would say that, um, in, in, in my experience and dealing with women and men that are going through the divorce process is that you really sort of need to one, Make sure you understand that it is indeed a process. It is not an overnight solution, even in the best of divorces. I mean, it takes some time to work out an agreement, to see a mediator, if that's the route you're going to take, to um, undertake the collaborative process, if you're going to take, and to um, understand what all those options are. I think people should understand their options and then make a choice. If you don't decide to do X, Y, and Z, at least you knew what X, Y, and Z was and what the pros and cons of that were. I think it's also really important for people to be realistic in their approaches. Don't all of a sudden be really interested in, you know, and gaining some sort of tactical advantage when in the past you really never had an advantage, I should say, an interest and in say, I don't know, your, your, your husband's car or your wife's, um, this, whatever this is, yeah. now mm-hmm. all of a sudden at the divorce, now all of a sudden it's the most now important thing to you, right. now you <laughs> want it. And before you knew it, you couldn't even name what it was. Right, exactly. The Vitamix that you never used. Right, Right, exactly. And you know, there's got to be some level of maturity there. And and I always tell people, the best agreements are those in which both people had to give up something. It's an agreement. A good agreement is not going to be one that both of you are going to love. It's going to be one that you can live with. You may not even like the agreement, but if it's one that you can live with, one that's fair one that is um, reasonable and it resolves all of your issues and a way that you can live with then i think that's the best agreement for you
0: i i completely agree i completely agree and you know it it emotions take time right that's the thing emotions take time and wow. this is the biggest upheap emotional upheaval that most people ever experience in their lives. So allow for that time. You know, we all know the statistics that, you know, about about 50% of marriages end in divorce. The statistics that fewer people know is that 68% of second marriages also end in divorce and that 74% of third marriages also end in divorce. And I am 100% convinced that that is because people don't do the work on themselves to figure out what went wrong the first time. And they just keep repeating the patterns over and over and over again. And they think it was their husband's fault. And so they get rid of him and then they get a new one and all the same shit happens. Yeah. Different shades, different slight differences, right? But really, ultimately, it's the same shit. And so it's, import- it's more important than you can imagine. And here's the thing. If you don't have kids, I don't care how you do it. But if you have kids, you, like, I really don't, you can live the rest of your life. You'd be married 17 times for all I care. Right. But if you have kids, it is incumbent upon you to do this work and to heal your patterns because it can take one generation to completely break this, you know, generations long patterns and cycles. We're the first generation that's doing this level of emotional work. We can, we can heal it. We can stop it now. For your kids. So they don't have to bear this for, you know, for another generation. Right. I get very passionate about this. So, you know, that's what that's, that's what I'm the most passionate about. All of that. Like, don't repeat this and do not lay this on your kids for them to deal with.
1: Right. And you make a very good point. The reverse of that is because a lot of people went through things as childhood and they bring in their childhood experiences and their traumas and their, you know, the good and bad that went on in their own childhood. And they bring these into their adult relationships, as you just said, and the cycle repeats. So in order to break the cycle, I agree with you. You've got to sort of do the work up front, and it's not fun. It's not pretty. It's not something that you want to sign up voluntarily and go running to. But at the same time, I think down the road, like most things in life, if you put in the work, the results will pay off.
0: Exponentially. Truly exponentially. Absolutely.
1: Yay. Well, this has been fun, Kate. I'm so glad we were able to do this jointly. This has been really good. I agree. I just
0: adore you. And I love your perspective on, um, on all of this and, and your clients are so lucky to have you in their corner and, and helping them through this. Oh, you're very
1: sweet. I feel the same way about you. Kate and I have been talking, um, even off, uh, off mic in terms of we have shared so many experiences in terms of similarity as where our our paths overlapped and what we do to help our clients. And and Kate is, mm-hmm. as you heard her, just getting passionate about certain things. She's very passionate about helping particularly people who have kids. And so that is just such, I, I love that perspective in people because that's yes. where my heart is. I'm with you. I mean, people can fight about objects all day, but it really, when it comes to kids, it's like, that's where you draw the line. You don't trade mm-hmm. dollars for kids. You don't leverage them to, you know, for your outcomes. I mean, let them be kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And divorce doesn't screw up
0: kids. How we do divorce screws up kids. So that's the thing to be the most mindful of.
1: Very, very, very good. Yep. Absolutely. Agree. A hundred percent.
0: Thanks for listening to the divorce survival guide podcast. You can find me over at KateAnthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. So you don't miss an episode. See you next time.